Life is a quest for logic and reason. It is a quest to find balance between science and faith. Life is a quest for knowledge and understanding. But most importantly, it's a quest for personal discovery. Whatever your quest, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Welcome to Quest. Hi everyone, I'm your host, Todd Fisher. I'm the founder of Metatomics, and I'm on a never-ending quest for knowledge. A quest is a search for something, and this podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. To me, curiosity is part of what makes us human, and there's still so much we don't know. I believe there's joy in discovery. It's what drives us. It's our quest. And with that, welcome to Season 4 of the Quest Podcast. I hope you enjoy this next interview. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Quest Podcast. Hey, thank you. Great to be here. I'm, uh, I'm excited to get into some stuff with you today. You're quite accomplished and, uh, and, and just the, you've done so much. And I really want to uh, hear your story on how all this came to be. But before we get into that, I want you to just tell my audience a little bit about you, what you do, your company, all the cool stuff you're doing, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dig into it. Wonderful. Well, my name is Sarah Plattfinger. I um, am the co-founder of Ishta Yoga, which is a yoga studio company based in New York City that I founded with my husband and former partners and helped to kind of develop the community there in New York City and develop the teacher training curriculum we had for teaching teachers to become yoga teachers or people to become yoga teachers and spread that out to multiple countries and cities and kind of shared my love and joy and kind of mission of um, bringing yoga to um, as many people as possible, especially um, this particular style of yoga ishta um, and throughout my time teaching and um, running the new york city studio i um, developed a relationship with deepak chopra who ended up moving several doors down from the studio um, at the time started teaching him privately and then got involved in some projects with him he kind of um, I think the practice, uh, because it's a practice that's really based on the tenets of Hatha Tantra and Ayurveda, and it's a very individualized practice, it really resonated with him and who he is individually. Um, we developed a, a sequence for him and then um, started working on projects together. Um, and now I am the uh, director of yoga at Chopra Global and helping to develop a teacher training program for that company and doing some travel and kind of partner facility type projects through Chopra. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's sort of my teaching and sort of business background. And you had announced that uh, several months ago. I think I saw it on Instagram. Yeah. That you were the director of that. And I was like, wow, this is this is a big deal. And I, I definitely want to uh, get into that. Let's tell me first how Ishta Yoga came about. How long has that been going? Tell me about that process, how you started that. Yeah. 
So I should say that the actual kind of lineage of Ishta um, was founded before me by my husband, Alan, and his father, Manny Finger, in South Africa, in Johannesburg, in the 1960s. Nobody really knows the exact date, but it was around that time um, that um, Alan and his father had, um, because his father had suffered PTSD from World War II, um, had some substance abuse issues, he um, kind of randomly, although nothing, as we know, is random, ended up in a business trip in LA at the Ambassador Hotel at a time when Paramahansa Yogananda, who wrote the autobiography of a yogi and started the Self-Realization Fellowship and was really instrumental in bringing um, kind of Kriya Yoga into the United States in the 1950s. He was speaking there and Alan's father was immediately transformed and moved by his presence and just kind of went to India, did a whole kind of Mecca trip there and studied and um, learned a lot of the depths of the yoga practice and brought it back to South Africa at the time where there was a significant number or a population of um, South Asian Indian uh, um, residents living there. And so yoga was really rich in South Africa at the time. And when my husband was quite young, he um, felt really called and um, inspired to learn yoga from his father. They had these swamis, these um, Indian aspir these um, yogic aspirants that would come through their home and kind of made their home into an ashram. And these, um, these teachers would come through and teach Alan, um, my husband at a very young age, these really profound techniques of breath work and meditation and Kriya yoga, which is the yoga of action and uh, pure action and purification. Um, so he learned so much um, as a teenager and then kind of said to his dad, look, there's so many different ways that all of these techniques can be taught. We need to systematize it. We need to make it in a way that people can really understand it. Because at that time, a lot of people in Johannesburg were coming to their home to learn yoga from Alan and his father. Um, and then they created this system, Ishta, the Integrated Science of Hatha, Tantra, and Ayurveda. And essentially kind of started, I guess, what would have been the first yoga school um, there in Johannesburg. And then, of course, Alan went on to, he moved to the United States, started teaching in LA, and then moved to New York City, uh, developed a yoga studio there. And then I kind of joined forces with him and we built our own Ishta Yoga studio where we really taught kind of the pure teachings of this practice. Um, it had been integrated with several other yoga styles and systems before. And we, and part of what I wanted to do is really keep the purity of it and share that with our community in Manhattan. Um, so I kind of came in, I guess, um, early 2000s, and um, I was doing my yoga teacher training, and I felt very moved to help build a home for people um, 
at the time I actually had reverse culture shock coming back from Taiwan where I'd lived for three years and yoga, specifically Ishta yoga was really the experience and the space where I felt that I could be at home inside of myself. I had never really felt that before and it was very profound for me and I really wanted to create that experience for as many people as possible. Yeah. So we created our own home. Yeah. I wanted yeah, you to share that story because it is a complex story and I was familiar with some yeah. of it. You told me lots of stuff I didn't know, but um, but I was familiar with it. I knew that Alan was a second generation yogi. And, and I, and I want to say, it's really interesting when you mentioned, I hadn't really thought of how, you know, yoga would move to South Africa. I think, you know, the lens of yeah. Americans, you know, this lens that we all have here is, you know, we think about, oh, well, you know, we heard about yoga during the hippie counterculture. And then in the eighties, yes. it's in every suburban strip mall, you know, and, <laughs> and sort of it just, that's how it happened. But you don't think about how it moved across the world to different places. Like it just never occurred to me, yoga in South Africa, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. And there were like 7 million Indians at the time living there. I mean, um, Gandhi went through South Africa, Mr. Iyengar did. So a lot of like prominent people from India came through South Africa. It was a very quick trip there. So yeah, I think it a lot would of be influence. interesting to see some literature, something where that shows the spread of yoga around the world. Yeah. You know, how long that, yeah, that would be, you know, that would be really yeah. cool. I want yeah. to say, so I'm a fan of Alan and, uh, and you know, when I got interested in yoga, was nearly 20 years ago with Yoga Zone, Yoga Zone oh, television wow. show. Okay. I started, that would come on at like two o'clock in the morning on you know, a travel channel or something. You know, it was, yeah. I can't yeah. remember what channel it was on. It's like QVC uh, or something. Yeah. And I had never seen yoga presented like that before. Mm. I mean, it's literally almost been, I think, exactly 20 years ago that show was on. Wow. And, yeah, um, probably. I was mesmerized. It was cinematically done. And it was like yeah. nothing I'd seen before because prior to that, it was a VHS tape or DVD mm -hmm. of someone teaching in a studio environment, simple, plain, didn't interest me. But yeah. when I saw it presented with crane shots and helicopters shooting stuff <laughs> and beautiful people doing yoga at this awesome resort, I was like, right. I'm sold. I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and Alan well, would always come on at the beginning and give his introduction and then, you know, it would have the instructors. And I've gotten to know some of those instructors over oh, time. Yeah. In fact, um, my very first episode of the Quest podcast had Lisa Matkin in it. It oh, was wonderful. Lisa and Charles were some of the instructors that were there. Yes. They, yes. So they're uh, the OG. They the are. OG Ishtis. They yeah. are. So yeah, Lisa was actually my very first interview for the Quest podcast. So I always try to incorporate yoga in every season to talk about the importance of it and just keep reminding people of why they need to get into it. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's what's it was really interesting. That presentation. He just hit right on the head. And I think it, it probably yeah. turned a lot of people to it, really. Oh, yeah. He's still, this day, people say, you know, I started yoga because of you, or you were in my living room every day. And he's like, really? I was in your, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it really, I think, did, it transformed. I think it was in 64 million homes. It was maybe mm -hmm. through the Discovery Channel, but yeah, it was very widespread. And yeah, I think, I think it was really... Discovery Channel. Yeah, I, think yeah. It was, I couldn't remember which. I remember that yeah. band of cable, you know, and I don't because there was like mm -hmm. National Geographic, and they always they all kind of blended together to me back then. Um, yeah, but it was so peaceful to just yeah. watch it and, and do that, and it, and it was something you, I was 
could, was started doing and watching and picking it up in the middle of the night. It was really tranquil, fun experience for me. I don't know if it aired at the same time everywhere, but for me, yeah. it was always like one or two o'clock in the morning. And um, amazing. And it, it sold me on it for sure. Um, so tell me, so you mentioned like kind of briefly how you became involved with Deepak Chopra. Um, you know, did you realize that relationship from kind of being his private instructor would balloon into something mm-hmm. so great that he would really embrace this like that? You know, I, I didn't really have too many expectations because um, I was so sort of um, focused on being present for him because I knew that he needed that more than anything, like someone who could just really be present with and for him and provide, uh, share teachings in a way that replenished and nourished him. Um, So I guess I didn't, although I kind of knew I, because his he's such a visionary and he's so um, constantly working on things and the, the, our relationship of starting with creative projects started kind of early on, maybe after the first couple of years of teaching him. So once kind of the first project started and there was so much energy around that, I kind of felt like, yeah, the, we work well together. There's a lot of potential here. Um, he has such a great uh, a platform and way of sharing things to his community and reaching so many people, which really inspired me because I think that is what I've always truly wanted is to be able to access more as many people as I could through this practice, you know, make it accessible to as many people as I possibly could. And I knew that was really hard to do with a yoga studio in New York City, but through my relationship with Deepak, it became more of a possibility. You're the director of yoga at Chopra Global. So what can we expect from that? Are you able to talk about it yet? What's the big thing that's coming? Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, we're working on, I I just finished filming um, our first yoga course, which is a yoga foundations course, which is really just what it sounds like. It's essentially teaching the fundamentals of yoga, the sort of essence of the practice uh, for, it's about a 10 or 12 hour course. And this is really for people who maybe have never done yoga before, but are interested in learning more. And maybe they don't have access to yoga studio in their neighborhood, but they want to be able to practice in a safe and accessible way. Or for people who are maybe interested in doing a teacher training, but aren't quite sure. So this is one step up for them. Maybe people who have already done a teacher training, but they're interested in learning yoga from a Chopra perspective. So this is really sort of an evergreen course that will be available for people year round. Um, Again, 10 to 12 hours. It's all sort of recorded. So nothing really live stream, but really getting into the pure as much as I could. And because how, how do you share yoga in 10 to 12 hours? But as, as much as I could get, I, what I thought were the important touchstones of the practice to share with people. Sure. And then once that's complete, um, we'll begin working on a 200 hour yoga teacher training, a Chopra yoga teacher training, which essentially will 
make um, a course available for people who want to learn either deepen their practice um, for themselves or maybe they want to learn to become teachers and that will be a, hopefully a yoga line certified training. I also teach in the events. So there's multiple events that are that happen year round, although that's coming to a close after 2023, and then kind of help advise our partner facilities that are offering yoga and help to develop the yoga programs there. Sure. So yeah, how much of this is in person versus, you know, virtual or online learning? Most of this is virtual because Chopra represents um, or has about 85 different countries within the community. Um, All of their education is done online. um, And that is the way they sort of have to structure it in order to um, allow for all of these different time zones and locations and everything to come together. And they've really done an amazing job, I think, creating a model around that, that is both authentic and um, accessible and sort of quality and high tech at the same time. I think they've kind of nailed that. (laughs) That's great. That's great. You know, it's, I, I hate always going back and talking about, you know, the lost years of COVID that we've, (laughs) that we had, but it certainly changed the way you could get your physical fitness. And certainly in New York, and I was in New York during COVID, everything shut down. Like, I mean, this place was a giant Petri dish and nothing was open. You couldn't go to SoulCycle. You couldn't do anything. And I think a lot of people were wondering, how are we ever going to come back or will we be able to? And then we started to kind of maybe see even the best of social media in a way, in terms of how things were being taught. I saw, um, you know, uh, ballerina friends of mine from, you know, mm. from, from different, different parts of the world were teaching online to just whoever would pop mm-hmm. in on Instagram, you know, and it was like yeah. really amazing. And of course the zoom movement is huge. Like everybody went to zoom. Do you think yeah. that the industry has recovered fully or do you think people are still wary to go into a facility and learn with an instructor? You know, I think it's unique for yoga because I think that some people, and if you think about the tradition of yoga, it really was traditionally a one-to-one practice. There was a, a guru and a sishya, your, your teacher and the, the student, the pupil. And it was really done one-to-one. There wasn't such a thing as group classes. That's really more of a kind of westernized um, concept. Um, but of course, that's how we have to do it in order to make it Um, available to as many people as possible. But what I think that Zoom did and this digital age did is it made it possible for people to do yoga in the comfort of their home, where they sort of cultivate their own home practice. And so whereas the studio became a place that they would go to for community, they brought the studio and I hope the the habit and the ritual of doing yoga into their own home, which made it something sacred to do in the privacy of your own home. And I I think people needed that. And I think people still do need that. Um, So I've always encouraged people to have a home yoga practice, whether or not they come to the studio um, to be able to have that, that they can take with them anywhere they go. because really all, all you need is a, you don't even need a sticky mat, but really a kind of a sticky mat and a, and a stable 
place and you can do yoga anywhere. Um, but I think we had this grand concept that it had to be in a studio with, you know, all of the, you know, crystals and, (laughs) um, imagery and everything. And as you were mesmerized by the practice in in Jamaica, but we create that inside of ourselves ultimately. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Although it does still appeal to me to go to the Grand Lido San Susi Resort and do it there. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. And that's why you can come to a Chopra retreat and, you know, that there is something that, but that's what I was going to say. Um, to close is that I think there is something special about people coming together that you cannot get at home or doing it online. So I do think that there's a lot of people that are comfortable with their habit of doing yoga at home on Zoom, but the that maybe these opportunities of coming together in special events or in special workshops or even through trainings I think is more of an allure for people. I do think the landscape of yoga has changed uh, maybe irreversibly since COVID because of uh, just that people being comfortable doing yoga at home. Right. Right. For sure. Now, did I, did I see somewhere that you have a book coming out next year? Yes, I do. I do have a book coming out. Are you able to talk about it yet? Yeah, sure. Um, it hasn't launched officially yet, but um, it's due out in January 2023. So only a few short months now. Um, and it's a book that I've co-authored with Mr. Chopra. And um, it is about um, yoga, really the what we call Raja or royal yoga, the royal practice, which is the last four limbs um, of you know, introspection, going inward, um, relaxed focus, meditation and absorption into your true self, realizing who you really are. Um, So there is uh, part of the book is, is Deepak's reflections on royal or Raja yoga and how to bring every aspect of your life and yourself into the light through the practice of yoga. So it's called Living in the Light, uh, Yoga for Self-Realization. And in the second part of the book um, is really about the practice, the physical practice, the asanas. And um, there's about 55 asanas that I have um, gone into depth with talking about what they are, what the the overview of the pose, sort of like what it will help you to embody in life. And then what are the benefits and um, therapeutic benefits and energetic benefits. And we bring in some breath and visuals, some talk about the chakras and yeah, there's a lot in it, but I think it will be something that many, many people can use as a guidebook for the yoga practice, wherever they are in their journey. Yeah. Which sounds amazing. Amazon has it listed as January 3rd. Oh, that is the date. That's right. January 3rd. (laughs) Amazon's on the ball. They know what's going on. They sure do. (laughs) I know. I have to consult them for everything, but (laughs) Amazon and Google. (laughs) They pretty much have the lock on everything we need. You know, (laughs) true. It really is. Tell me about, so I read this, that you are the president for Exhale to Inhale. Is that, so are you still doing this? Tell me about this group. Yes. So I, I was that formally the president of Exhale to Inhale. I am because I have multiple things happening right now. I I have had to step off of the board, but I was a board member for about six years. 
And um, it's an amazing organization that brings trauma-informed yoga to survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. So the training is based off of the work of David Emerson and um, Bessel van der Kolk, which is about um, how trauma gets stored in the body and what are ways that we can provide a practice that is not triggering for people. Um, so it's based in New York City um, and essentially the, the teachers who are trained in this form of training, Excel to Inhale has its own teacher training um, for teachers who are already 200 hours certified in yoga or people who want to um, teach this in like nurses or therapists. Uh, and um, they go to different shelters in the area um, and basically provide this yoga for uh, people who are in recovery from some kind of um, domestic trauma. Sure. Now, for those yeah. people who, who might not understand this, how does the body store trauma and how does yoga help that? So the body stores trauma because it is essentially um, the, the trauma lives in our fascia and our connective tissue. And what happens is when trauma occurs, we sort of hold on to that experience. And if we don't do certain therapies such as, um, I mean, we could do talk therapy, but that doesn't always do the job. So we need to, what happens is the it lives in the nervous system because we either freeze or flight and it kind of gets stuck in there and numbed. And so if we don't do certain work to release the trauma, either through somatic work um, like uh, yoga, dancing, um, certain kinds of, um, there's, there's other somatic exercises that one can do to help release the trauma from the body in a environment that is safe and secure where your nervous system is not in a triggered space a fight or flight response um, then we can free the trauma from our bodies but unless we're in a sort of organized structured space where we can do that it gets lodged in the body in the connective tissue and in the fascia um, and we it gets stored there essentially yeah. over years and years exactly and i think a lot of people think that a trauma is just a memory of something and that it just exists right. in the mind so i think a lot of right. people think oh, i'll just go talk it out with someone and they don't realize what it's doing to the you know to the physical mechanism itself you know <laughs> that's right that's and, right and then you know one that that's why having and understanding about what triggers are and knowing that's that's why this work that Excel to Inhale does is so powerful um, because it takes all of that into account. Like the practitioners are always um, facing an exit so they know where the door is should they need to leave. They, it's a very choice-based practice. So everything is invitational. There's not language used where you have to do something. It's, it's always choice-based and, you know, there wouldn't be um, the offering of closing the eyes really isn't a part of it because that can be a trigger. So all of this is taken into account and, you know, knowing the statistics that one in four 
people, women specifically, um, have had some form of, you know, sexual assault, it, it really illuminates how much yoga teachers do need to educate themselves on the, this information. Yeah. 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 And I, I think people also don't realize it, it's unfortunate how little people know about their own bodies is one of my biggest yes. things. People just don't understand yeah. what's going yes. on. There's all, seems to be a lot of mind body disconnection with a whole lot of people. And um, so true. And it's, yeah. and it's, it's sort of just, Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, and it, what's odd is just a, an example of this is, you know, when that traumatic event comes up as a thought, your heart rate may increase, cortisol mm -hmm. might rush through your body, your breath may become erratic, like just those effects alone, just the chemical uh, mm -hmm. environment of it and, and, and what's happening, the tension in your muscles, like people don't even realize that sometimes what what having these events, in, you know, in them is doing to their body. Yeah. And, uh, it, because I think if they don't see it, they don't know it exists. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's true. Awareness is key. And also I think so many people are walking around with heightened sympathetic nervous responses as if it is normal. Right. Yeah. So, right. you know, that that's the new normal. So that feeling relaxed almost feels abnormal to people. And um, I really think that's where yoga and meditation and breath work and everything that, you know, these light workers and healers are doing to create um, stability and harmony in the nervous system is so important. Yeah. People yeah. know what that feels like. It doesn't feel foreign to them to feel relaxed. <laughs> You know, I, I want to go back to something we talked about earlier about, you know, people taking um, their yoga classes online and Zooms and things mm, like this. Mm -hmm. Now that there are a bajillion people out there teaching yoga mm -hmm. on the interwebs, what kind of advice can you give people to figure out if they're getting someone who's really skilled or it's just, you know, a, a housewife in Idaho that's decided to yeah. get on Zoom and start <laughs> teaching? What do you do to check them out? How do you know who's real? Uh, that's such a good question. And hey, maybe the housewife in Idaho is a really good yoga teacher. But <laughs> I, I know, think, right? To your but point, how, do you, how do you know? Yeah, right? Like, how do you? Uh, yes. Um, yoga is so much more than physical poses. I think if you are going to a yoga, and look, everybody has their own sort of intention or desire of what draws them to a yoga teacher training. And some people want to do a yoga teacher training to learn how to do a handstand. And I'm, I'm here to say, well, you know, if that's your intention, I, I, you know, I totally appreciate and support that. Um, although that I think is only showing one color of the rainbow that is yoga. So if yoga is a full spectrum, right? So it's the postures as well as pranayama, breathwork, meditation, and then of course the philosophy that comes into it, whether it's the yoga sutras or the Bhagavad Gita or Hatha Yoga Pradipika, but I would look for a training that is encompassing and embracing the spectrum of yoga. So it's not just about mastering yoga poses, although, you know, that can, I'm a very physical, I have a background in gymnastics and dance. I, I like the physicality of the practice, but I know that that is not the end goal, right? So the end goal is that we're able to sit and be with ourselves 
the self that is infinite and unbounded for an extended period of time. Um, and if you're getting that from your teacher or your teacher training, I would say, you know, stick with that. Um, and just be wary of schools that are um, really focused on mastering the poses. I, I also, you know, it sort of a little bit of my, a pet peeve of mine are yoga schools that require mastery of certain yoga poses in order for you to do it. Like you can't join our teacher training unless you know how to do headstand. I'm, I don't think that is a very inclusive, welcoming, you know, yogic sure. space that one would be joining. Yeah. You know, so it, I would it, say look out for those things. It's, it's interesting. We get a, a different take on this is I think it, at one point, you know, you could go to someone's yoga studio, right? They had a building, mm -hmm. they had a facility, they have students, like someone's going through a lot of work to set up a business like that and a lot of expense. And you would expect that you would be getting someone who has, you know, thousands of hours of experience teaching this, whereas you can't really mm -hmm. authenticate that online. And one of the other things that adds to my frustration are all these like online universities that give you yes. your yoga certification with just 60 hours and it's $20 to, you know, enroll. And it's like, yeah. and then people like are showboating these certificates that they've gotten certificate of completion. Mm. And I honestly don't know enough about this to know, okay, if my teacher has 200 hours and she's certified or a thousand hours like am I looking for a minimum here that someone needs like you know I, I think that's yeah. all confusing to the public too yeah no that's a really good point I mean there is a um an organization called Yoga Alliance which oversees the quality of yoga teacher trainings in the United States and beyond but mostly in the United States um Yoga Alliance if, if you're attending a training that is Yoga Alliance accredited, that means that that school had to go through all of the requirements that Yoga Alliance um, establishes, which their whole point, you know, Yoga Alliance, their intention is to ensure that these trainings are including the full spectrum of yoga. So there's a 200 hour, which is a more foundational teacher training. And that's sort of like, if you want to go deeper, learn a little bit more, but not sure if you really want to become a teacher yet, you could do your 200 hour Yoga Alliance accredited teacher training. So I would look for that. And then if you want to go deeper, you could do what's called a 500 hour teacher training certification, which is kind of like getting your master's in yoga um you would be well more equipped to teach or make yoga teaching a career for yourself um so that's an additional 300 hour that's tacked on to the already 200 hour training you've done which makes you that's 500 right. hours certified yep yeah. well good I and then there's more and more oh. beyond but i won't uh <laughs> i won't confuse or bore no that's anyone. good because i want people yeah. that don't I mean, a lot of people that tune into my my podcast, they like to, you know, learn what's next and figure these yeah. things out. There's not, it's not like there's an instruction manual out there that says, so you want to get into yoga. This is what you need to know, mm -hmm. you know? And I, and I feel it's like really that's, good point. that's something that's missing. I think out there in the world, like when I go to planet fitness, what I see is what mm -hmm. I get. If I can't don't know how the equipment works, I just hit the QR code. It shows me on my phone. Like it's all mm. pretty much laid out for me, you know, and, right. but like with yoga, it's very confusing sometimes for people that yeah. are introductory. Like, how do I get in it? What are all these things? Yes. Which one do I take? You know, like, yes. how do I know my, you know, and I think that that is something that really needs to be looked at 
I, I don't know how, you know, on an organizational level that happens, but I think making it more welcoming in a way and informing people is huge, would be huge. And, and that is exactly what this Yoga Foundations course is hoping to create for people, just kind of demystifying, clarifying what is yoga? What are the different styles of yoga? What does namaste mean? <laughs> you know, yeah, what is, right. what is yeah. om and what are, and then just highlighting some really kind of foundational poses that you might see in class and sort of how to do them safely and options to modify. But yeah, that's, I'm really glad you brought that up because I do think that it's, there's so much out there and you're right. It's represented in so many different ways. And you know, what I have found is that um, for many people, you know, there, there's a gateway in and sometimes that gateway in is your planet fitness yoga class and you take one and you're just like, wow, and then you kind of want to learn more and you want to learn more and you want to go deeper and the journey just continues inward. Um, so I, I think also what's so important to remember is that it is an inward journey and it is a matter of really learning to master your own internal space and um, access your inner power, right? Um, and that once you go there and you find that, um, you've mastered yoga, right? Regardless yeah. of whatever postures you can do. Yeah. Sure. Well, Sarah, as we're kind of closing out the podcast here, I do have one last question for you. Um, you're a busy woman. You're doing all this stuff. You're teaching you're creating programs, you're, you have a family. I want to know what your daily self-care routine is. What are you able to uh, do? <laughs> very good question. Uh, well, I, first thing I do when I wake up, I actually have an Ayurvedic ritual that I do. Um, it's, it's actually called the daily ritual and, and it's, um, involves three steps that are sort of similar to, um, like panchakarma, but um, which is a, a traditional practice. And so I, I take my daily ritual, which includes a little uh, a jam and a, a cleansing of the nostrils and a swishing of the mouth to detoxify the mouth. It's called eat, sniff, swish. So I do that first. Um, and then I do my yoga and meditation. So that's about 45 minutes. Um, I do that every day. And I usually find time to take a walk outside. So about a 40, 45 minute walk or something where I'm in nature. Um, those are kind of my three staple um, kind of rituals or practices that I do every day that help me to feel connected and centered inside of myself so that I can present um, as authentically as I can in whatever projects I'm doing, whomever sure. I'm relating to. Yeah. What about your sleep routine? How much sleep do you get? I get about seven hours, I would say. I wake up pretty early. I wake up about 5.45. I have a dog, so I take him out. <laughs> that's, yeah. I don't think that's part of my self-care, but um, I, I do. That's his self-care. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and, um, I go to bed probably between 10 and 10 30. So, um, yeah. So I, a, I think I get a good if, amount if of sleep. Asking, yeah. What's, what's your diet? Like, what do you, what do you move toward? Are you vegan, vegetarian? Are you, you a meat eater? Like um, what's, how do you, how yeah. do you fit your diet, dietary requirements in? Uh, well, so I am mostly vegan. I call myself a liberal vegan <laughs> because, <laughs> um, you know, every, every once in a while I'll have, 
you know, some kind of cheese or um, maybe if I feel guided to have um, salmon, um, I might have that, but I'm about 90% vegan. I really enjoy a plant-based diet. It really makes me feel, I guess, more in tune and connected. I, I just, and I, I really don't eat any, any meat other than the occasional salmon, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, do you have a guilty pleasure? Go, you got to let the audience know you're human. What's the guilty pleasure? <laughs> well, I mean, if you call it guilty, I don't even guilt myself for it, but chocolate is definitely my pleasure. Yeah. Um, I, it's, I call it my vitamins. I definitely have, um, I mean, dark chocolate with sea salt is my favorite. Uh, so I love, I love chocolate and I, I really enjoy movies. So I do like, you know, to get into a good, series on I, I tend to like docu-series right so series yeah. that are based on something um so yeah I'd say those are the two things that keep me in the material realm what do you uh <laughs> what do, how do you feel about supplements do you take supplements I just do this beauty ritual the the Ayurvedic ritual now okay. I find that with that I need no additional supplements and gotcha. um this is, is something new that um I'm I'm sort of collaborating with the founder on and I, I, I just stand behind it 1000%. It's um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's worth people checking out. It's called eight organics and um, that that's what I do. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really do any other supplements other than that now. Wow. That's great. That's great. Well, tell me uh, where can people find you out on the interwebs? How can they see what you're doing, your social media, your dot coms, things like that. Yeah, well, I'm on Instagram at splatfinger, S-P-L-A-T-T, finger, like on your hand. <laughs> and um, I'm also on Facebook at Sarah Platt Finger. I'm on Twitter also on Splatfinger, but I'm mostly on Instagram. That's sort of my, uh, my other guilty pleasure, social media of choice. Uh, and I, um, my website is sarahplattfinger.com. And uh, my class schedule and everything where you can sign up for classes is on ishtayoga.com. Perfect. Well, Sarah, I really appreciate you coming out today and, and talking to everyone. And uh, I hope you come back again. Oh, thank you so much. I'd love to. This was really such a pleasure to connect with you and your audience. Well, thank you. And uh, you have a good evening, okay? Yeah, you as well. Take Thanks care. so much, Todd. Bye-bye. I'm Amber Rose, the religious hippie, and I host the podcast A Catholic's Perspective. Join me every two weeks as I release episodes targeted towards helping young Catholics navigate their ever-changing secular world while staying strong in their faith. Whether you are a Catholic or not, all are welcome here. So if this is something that interests you, feel free to tune in. You can find A Catholic's Perspective on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Bye! Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and Anthony Smith and is distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure and visit the official website for Metacortex Publishing at metacortexpublishing.com or find us on social media for other unique content.